Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On today's episode, comedian Ben Elwood and I continue our David Lynch director series as we look at his 1984 film, Dune. My name is Justin Hamilton, and remember, fear is the mind killer here at Big Squid. Hope you're well wherever you are. As you join us for today's Big Squid podcast, I've uh, deliberately timed this episode of our David Lynch deep dive to coincide with the release of uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune this week. And uh, just between you and me, I saw it last night and we will have a review of it for next Tuesday. So uh, this is specifically for people in Australia. I know everyone who is overseas who, uh, you know, if you wanted to see Dune, you've probably had an opportunity to see it already. But in Australia, it's having its official release uh, this Thursday, which will be the 2nd of December. So what I'll do is uh, we'll put the review of the movie up next Tuesday. So that way you have Uh, the opportunity to see it on the weekend if you wish to do so. You might want to listen to the podcast and see what we think of it before you go and see it. But if you want to go and see it and be able to join in on the conversation, uh, that will come out next Tuesday. And look, I won't give anything away so far. Uh, You know, we'll save it for the review. And I'm going to make a statement, and it's not that big a statement, to be honest. Like, let's... Like, when you hear this, you'll go, that doesn't seem that original, but... I'm just going to say it anyway. Timothy Chalamet, what a superstar. Like, 
What a great young actor, and I cannot wait to see what he does over the next few years. I've enjoyed every movie I've seen him in, and I just think he gets better and better, and he's really magnetic on on the extreme screen that I watched it on <laughs> yesterday. So anyway, we'll talk about uh, the new Dune next Tuesday, and today it's all about David Lynch's Dune. Uh, this week also we will have a new Space Podyssey episode on Thursday, and that is covering the 70s classic Silent Running. So if you haven't seen it before, you still have a couple of days to check it out, and uh, it's not a long movie, so you can probably squeeze it in if you want to do so. But, you know, there's no rush. The podcast will be there ready for you whenever you need it. Uh, before we get into it, if you sign up to the Big Squid Patreon, you receive bonus podcasts, early looks at new segments and a host of other goodies, including having an episode dedicated to you. And today's patron shout out goes to Terry. And Terry has been so dedicated to the podcast uh, during our Sophia Coppola rewatch. Uh, she couldn't find The Beguiled anywhere and she didn't want to sign up to any of the big asshole corporations out there that take advantage of their workers. Not going to point to anyone in particular, but I'm sure you can work out who I'm talking about. And Terry didn't want to miss out on uh, The Beguiled, so she uh, went to the local library and she found a copy of it so she could continue joining in with us. And I can not tell you just how impressed I am with Terry's dedication to the podcast and her principles at the same time. That's so rare. I'm so impressed. Good work, Terry. Uh, thank you for subscribing to the Patreon and also being an important part of our community that is continuing to grow. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you're joining in with the David Lynch rewatch, fingers crossed you're able to find today's movie at the library or on one of the better sites. For our new subscribers, Big Squid is a podcast that celebrates all manner of entertainment and art, and in the process, we just might point you in the direction of something that you might like, or maybe something you've forgotten about, and you get to relearn how you liked it in the first place. Uh, this season, our deep dive director is David Lynch, and today we're entering the year of 10,191, I don't know how to pronounce it out loud. A spice called melange is the most valuable substance known in the universe and its only source is the desert planet Arrakis. A royal decree awards Arrakis to Duke Leto Atreides and ousts his bitter enemies, the Harkonnens. When the Harkonnens violently seize back the fiefdom, it is up to Paul, Leto's son, to lead the natives of Arrakis in a battle for control of the planet and its spice. It's time to enter the world of Dune. A beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year 10,191. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. You are about to enter a world 
entirely unexpected. Many dangers exist on Arrakis. The unknown and incredible secrets have been kept on this planet. And the unbelievable meet. I see two great houses. Where kingdoms are built on Earth that moves. We have worm sign the likes of which even God has never seen. And skies are filled with fire. The prophecy which will cleanse the universe and bring us out of darkness. Where a young warrior Why? is called upon to free his people. A world that holds creation's greatest treasure. He who controls the spice controls the universe. And greatest terrors. <laughs> A world where the mighty. This is genocide. The deliberate and systematic destruction of all life on Arrakis. The mad. <laughs> I will kill him! I will love you forever. And the magical Father, the sleeper has awakened. Will have their final battle. Long live the fighters! Do not show the slightest pity or mercy. Emperor, we come for you. Doom, a spectacular journey through the wonders of space and the mysteries of time from the boundaries of the incredible to the borders of the impossible now frank herbert's widely read talked about and cherished masterpiece comes to the screen dino de Laurentiis presents dune a world beyond your experience beyond your imagination I have a funny story for you that has nothing to do with the movie. Great. But I <laughs> just wanted to save it for you once we started recording. Yeah. So, as you know, I'm working on The Chase and yes. I'm a producer for The Chasers. So, anyone who yes. hasn't watched the show, contestants come on and they match wits with The Chasers who super are... Super intellect. Super, uh, well, you know, very good at quizzing, yeah. you know, and they're, they're all kind of given characters yeah, like yeah, yeah. Um, Goliath, who's the... Uh, uh, comedian Matt Parkinson, mm-hmm. you know. So, mm-hmm. anyway, I've been working pretty closely with the very delightful Issa, Issa Schultz, who is the super nerd. Super nerd. He is just a delight. Mm. What a very nice man yep. and just lovely to work with. Yeah, and yeah. We're, we're kind of a, like we've gotten to a point now where our producer in uh, Melbourne, Elaine, will be just like, oh, you boys, because we'll, <laughs> like, I'll, and then, so, for people who don't know, we sit there and we watch Larry M to interview someone, mm. and then I've got, like, we, between us, we've got, like, two minutes or or even less to come up with a funny line. That's great. And I love it. It's Because yeah. it's real pressure. Yeah. And, and you suddenly realise how little difference there is between people because uh, do you know how many adrenaline junkies on this show all have done skydiving 
mm-hmm. bungee jumping yeah, or swimming with the sharks. Like yeah. I'm just how many options I, are there? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just dying for someone to say, "Oh yeah, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I stuck my dick in a lion's mouth just to see what would happen." I'd be like, "That's amazing. I can write something new." But um, there's, there's the adrenaline junkie of like the everyday adrenaline junkie that goes for skydiving and stuff, and then there's those really sick in the head yeah, people yeah, that yeah, do like yeah. the wingsuiting. Yes, where it's like, "Oh, yes. I went through a gap the size of a fifty cent coin." It's like, "Oh, you're mentally ill." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucked up. No, but I, but I, I'm, I'm dying for those people just so I've got another angle to write <laughs> yeah, a joke yeah, yeah. on. But um, anyway, so and Larry is delightful. Yeah. Like he's he's genuinely interested in everyone he talks to. So yeah, he's talking yeah, yeah. to this. Uh, we have filmed, no word of a lie, 30 episodes in 20 days. Oy. Like, it's been full on, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, right towards one of our last episodes, Larry's interviewing this woman, and uh, she's talking about how she's just gotten back on the social... Uh, she's just gotten on the social media because she's been against it. How because old is she? there's, like, early 20s, but she's against it because of all the weirdness that's there. Yeah. And you go, okay, okay, well, I understand that. But then she proceeded to say that she thinks there's too many conspiracies out there. And Larry asks, like, a very simple question, and she said, I just don't believe we landed on the moon. So, oh, my Lord. So, you know, I'll, it's unfair to tell you what Issa's reaction to it was, but I'm like, yeah. you know, I've, I'm, I've checked out. I yeah. have no interest in this person. Yeah. Anyway, Larry says, you know, he's very polite about it. He said, okay, you ready to do the quiz? And she says, yep, let's go. And he says, your time starts now. And without word of a lie, the first question was, who was the first person to land on the moon? And Isa and I, like, you know, we're trying... Like, Brilliant. We couldn't breathe. and That was a coincidence, right? Absolutely. Or a conspiracy. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> nah, it was just one of those... And how did she respond? Well, this is the irony. She immediately answered Neil, without, Neil, Neil Armstrong. Of course. And I would have respected her more. 100%. If, if she'd said, well, allegedly. Yeah. Or no one, because it never happened. Yeah. Stick to your guns. Yeah. And then argue that you deserve to get that question right. Yeah, because you're... Because no one landed there, so she is actually correct. Totally. There's a long history on TV game shows of people disputing the um, correctness of an answer, mm. and production has to halt, and mm. the, uh, the record has to be checked. Yeah. Anyway. Wow, how willing she is to compromise her beliefs for a bit of for prize $2, money. $2,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that uh, does not really tie in, I could say. And speaking of space, now let's segue into Dune. Yeah, but you did but, anyway. Uh, Good one. Yeah. <laughs> but in all honesty, it was just a funny story, and I didn't want to waste it without microphones. Outstanding. <laughs> Outstanding. I actually thought of you immediately, knowing we were recording today. Isn't yesterday. I'm, just, I'm so fascinated by that. So she's saying uh, she doesn't like social media because there's too many conspiracy theories out there so obviously in her mind the moon landing is Is the conspiracy conspiracy, not the other way around yes but so my question is did she think that the moon landing was a conspiracy before she got on social media or was she indoctrinated when she got on social media good question i don't know yeah maybe maybe which would be proof positive that she should have stayed the fuck off social media i wanted to just go up and show her that YouTube clip of Buzz Aldrin punching that guy in the face who told him he didn't go to the moon. (laughs) I was watching ABC News 24 the other morning and a couple of the newscasters made a joke about the moon landing not being real. Mm. And my brain, like, it's so funny how things have changed because a few years ago I would have thought, oh, that's amusing. Mm. And now it's like, don't say that. Not on the fucking news. Steph Steph Curry, the NBA player. 
like a couple of NBA players said it for real, and Steph Curry kind of said it tongue in cheek, yeah. and then had to realize he had to walk it back because it was being reported as a fact, and he had to say, "No, no, 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 I was joking." But it's that thing now as well, where you know, we're, we've been in this new media landscape for long enough for people to know you can't say anything without it being clipped out of context, mm. and you know, so that newsreader that said that, yeah, there is going to be no top and tail to that. It's just yeah. going to be him going, "Oh, you know, we never landed on the moon in 1960," yeah, and you know, all of a sudden, all these fucking flat earthers and all these lunatics like, "See, they're yeah. saying it on ABC News." Yeah, like, oh come on, and it's one of those things where. Yeah, like I, one of the narratives that I am completely disengaged with mm. is people say, "God, comedy must be so hard." Like comedy must be so hard because you can't joke about things, and uh, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. But you know, can you be like you have to pick and choose the moments when you're being overtly sarcastic mm. on stage, or mm. you know. Irony mm-hmm. seems to be the thing that is in trouble, like satire. Who was it that said, someone said that, uh, God, I wish I could remember who it was. I think it's Tom Lear said that satire, political satire was done mm. when uh, Henry Kissinger got the Nobel Peace Prize. 100%. Yeah. But I, I would say that's, that's across the board now. You know, like uh, there's things that happen on a daily basis that are like onion headlines. Mm. Um, there's that great one about the hipster that sued some magazine for saying that all hipsters are the same and it had a picture of a hipster on it and he sued them but didn't realise the picture actually was of him. So he sued the magazine for saying all hipsters look the same and that was offensive but didn't realise that the picture was him and that he did look the same as himself. It's like, like this like snake eating its own oh, tail of just absurdity oh where it's like, what Lord. the fuck is going on? Oh my Like Lord. we are truly in a post-satire yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, post satire? <laughs> <laughs> so this, like, so this is a fascinating film. I, this is this yeah. is where I'm at with this film. Yeah. I this is the first film that you and I are going to discuss in in my opinion that is not good, mm-hmm. but I still had a good time watching it. Yeah, I, I was still yeah. entertained. Yeah, and. Yeah, A, do you feel the same way? And B, when did you first see this film? (laughs) Um, Yes, I do feel the same because I had to do a bit of cognitive tricks to enjoy it. I had to pretend that I was 10 and that I'd found a lost Jim Henson film. You know what was... So that's so funny. (laughs) I did a similar thing. I pretended I was watching uh, a movie made by the guys that made the, the Tom Baker Doctor Who and they had a bigger budget. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and I feel like if you've got to do something like that, then yeah. the film is probably objectively bad. Yes. If you've got to put all these little, like, imagination yeah. uh, filters over the top of it. Um, so, yeah, I, like... And, and, and it did have that kind of feel for me of, like, a, a an 80s Henson film, like Labyrinth or Dark Crystal. Like, it's kind of fucked up and dark, and you can see the seams holding all the sets together and everything. Yeah. But, you know... Um, so, yes, I completely agree with you. It is an objectively not great movie. I think there's reasons for that beyond... Oh, Yes, Lynch, and we will get to that. Which we will get into, yeah. Uh, The first time I saw it was, like, uh, two years ago. Oh, right, It was one of those ones that I never, you know... Which which I think is why I enjoyed it the first time, because it really really did feel like a lost movie from my childhood. Yes. Just one of those ones. It it felt very weirdly familiar. Yeah. That aesthetic, that tone, that kind of, like, this doesn't really make sense. Yeah. You know, people talk about 
I don't know if you ever saw the film Dark Crystal. Yeah. Yeah, but people, yeah, like, people talk about that in these hushed, reverential tones. Yeah. It's not a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a great movie. Yeah, I enjoyed it when I saw it as a kid in yeah. the cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. It's, and it, the it's only a... thing I can remember from it, I can remember the sketches yeah. and I can remember everyone howling with laughter when the girl jedling get uh, girl gelfling gelfling yeah. ha- reveals that she has wings and he yeah. says i don't have that of course not you're a boy yeah, yeah. and um i still don't quite know why that's funny but anyway um yeah no i i, I but i've I, never gone back to watch it no and nor should you uh because i think uh, there's many things where the memory of the thing is greater than the uh, than the actual thing. Yeah. I was at mum's the other night and she got all wistful and nostalgic and started wanting to watch fucking Mr. Ed and the Beverly Hillbillies. Goodness. And I kept saying to her, don't, like, don't do it. It's gonna, you're, it's not what you remember. And of course, we'd get three minutes in and she'd be like, oh, this is terrible. It's like, yeah, some things just remain yeah. in childhood and don't need to be re-explored. Yeah. But this definitely, like I say, this definitely felt like one of those movies that I really loved as a kid that I never got around to seeing. And yeah. so it was just kind of catching up on that aesthetic. So this was a an early film that we borrowed when you could get 10 films Oh, five films films for 10 bucks or something like that. And, you know, we were getting sci-fi and we borrowed this film. And I reckon, I can't, I think mum and I were watching it. And Mm. I, it was one of those rare times that mum and I just went, no, we've, we've, we've got to return this later. And we've already watched the other four. We've gotten our money's worth. Yeah. You know, about 10, 15 minutes yeah. in because yeah. you're going, like, what the fuck is happening? Like, you know, we were kind of expecting, like, the way, like, the packaging on the on the old Betamax, we had a beta. Very um, nice, yeah. Better quality, but the porn industry ruined it by choosing VHS. We all know that story. But the, um, like, I thought it was going to be, like, a, a Star Wars yeah. or something like that. So when yeah. you're sitting there and there's, like, and once again, we'll get into all of this it, like it's so what is happening oh yeah but it's yeah i can't i'm i'm pretty certain i still don't understand what happened no i think you know what i think it's <laughs> i think it's simultaneously is so much more complicated than it needs to be yeah and not complicated enough yeah like yeah, at yeah, the yeah, same time yeah because the story it's really straightforward it's like yeah. there's a planet full of this shit that everyone wants yeah it gets gifted to one family who go there another family try and set off like this yeah. it's a really abc and then the the natives of the planet unite with Cole mclaughlin yes. and and they they fight a resistance war to yeah. get their resources back yeah abc yeah but there, you know, the, the the fatal flaw this film makes is just that ridiculous first fifteen minutes of just it's it's my least favorite type of sci-fi. House of Trades and the Melange, yeah. Like, like, okay, right, yeah, you, you made up. A, just give me Blaster. Like, I've never, I've never wanted yeah. the vernacular of Star Wars more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just, yep, that's a ray gun and that's a Death Star and that's a laser. Good. I, I don't need all this gobbledygook like phonetics of like, oh, look how clever I am. I've invented a language and I don't. Uh, it's boring. I, I watched like that. That's my. Like, I have trouble remembering names in the real world. Yeah. So, like, I watched every season of Game of Thrones and I still refer to them as the guy that lost his hair, yeah. the blonde chick, yeah. you know, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. little guy who's super smart, you yeah, know, totally. all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is also, you know, and I know we keep giving, we'll get into this, but this is a film of compromise. I'm, I'm interested, what was the last thing that you worked on that you had to <laughs> compromise? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I've been working in commercial television for 15 years. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, like, but yeah. do, uh, it does anything, like, for me, it was, uh, you know, 
once again, it's not really my show to talk about, uh, so I'll be a little bit vague. But I worked on a show that had comedians working on it and none of the comedians could get anything up Mm. because the producers who, like, if I'd stuck my thumb up their ass, that would be the funniest part of them. They were making all the decisions. And And I was in a position where I was headlining at the comedy store Mm. and I was taking some of our ideas that we'd discussed and putting them in my headline set, like just right in the middle, using it as a testing ground Mm -hmm. and did like four, four nights at the four gigs in three nights at the comedy store, kept a, kept a list of what worked and what didn't work and went in and presented it as Mm -hmm. proof. And like, not in a smart arsey way, just saying, Hey, I took our ideas. I gave them a go. These two things, killed yeah this one is good but we probably need to tinker with it a little bit yeah. and these two things were fine but they just kind of left the audience a bit flat and without fail the producers picked those <laughs> two thing, things and of you know course. and it's like <laughs> and I, I don't think compromise has to be a bad thing no but when you're when you're when you're being forced to compromise by people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about, that's a hard bit. That's the pit that, that, that is insufferable. Yeah. Like I um, so I've I've worked uh, I've worked on a lot of TV, um, and I'm working on something at the moment which is so refreshing because it's probably the first show I've ever worked on that's run by creative people, mm. and so it's it's just a joyful, and it's mm. like I never thought I would experience. I've been like I've been working in. TV since 2005 mm. uh, and just kind of surrendered to the fact that it was just this kind of it was just a way to get cash mm. it's, it, there's no it, it's pretty creatively bankrupt rah, rah, rah. my first ever job I, I got into uh, I got I was I became the head writer of a kids TV show in 2005 and it was like you know fresh faced full of hope like oh my god this is a dream come mm, true yeah. and three weeks in the producer came to me and said hey we're really happy with the, what you're writing but do you mind just dumbing it down a little bit so that the ads seem more entertaining oh my god and you wonder why I'm a fucking cynical ball of shit <laughs> like honestly mm, yeah. it was like it was like all of my dreams just being like crushed into a cube of like oh, oh that's right we're not making yeah. anything we are making filler to slot in between ads and that is all this is it has no like make it less interesting so the ads seem more entertaining what the fuck how about the ads just be more entertaining if if that's what it's about like if the medium is the ads why is the show being compromised and isn't the point of getting like they stick around for the ads because the show is really good right like it was just awful and just this like this weird inversion that you realize that you're participating in. Yeah. Um, and I feel like anyone that works in our industry, especially TV or radio, um, has got to learn to compromise very early on, which is why I think probably, especially, and, and now with my stand-up, there, there was like a refusal to compromise. mm which was to my detriment in the early days. Yeah. It was this real like, no, I'm being told what to do in the day. Don't tell me what to fucking do yeah, with my yeah, thing. Yeah. This is my thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and so it was probably too aggressive in the other direction. Well, then also not realising that uh, giving an audience room to breathe or jump on mm. with whatever you're talking about actually isn't compromise. Yep. That's actually doing your job. A hundred percent. But... You get uh, you get beaten down in these other jobs, totally. and uh, the, your filter cracks. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a moment of I've never really had a massive profile, and I had a I had a real revelation about younger me 
a mm. couple of days ago mm. where I was in a position where I was surrounded by four big celebrities, not not stand-up comedians, but just four really well-known people in Australia. Yeah. And a couple of them individually were quite nice, yeah. but together they were some of the most... <laughs> Tedious people I've ever met, and they were so boring, and they thought they were fantastic, yeah. and they were loud, and they were yelling, yeah. and uh, you know they were making <laughs> jokes that they considered to be risque, mm. Mm. which I just found really, hey, all respect to you if that was making you laugh, but it's just not something to tell me. And we're all of them laughing a little too long, oh, a little yeah. too loud. And they, and they were being really, oh, and then she said, Whoa! and then he said, oh, I can't believe it. Mm, and I'm like, no, nah, I can believe it. Yeah. And then I was... Look at me, look at me, look at me. And then I uh, was leaving and they were like, oh, we've upset the comedian. And in my head, in a very childish way, all I was thinking was I could turn around and say something off the top of my head that would be so vile, mm. you guys would have me arrested. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not, pr- I'm not proud of that, but... Like, yeah. don't... <laughs> it is by my mercy yeah. <laughs> that also, I don't crush you Also, right I'd now. like to think that I'm a mild grown-up, but it was one of those <laughs> things where it was like they were kind of needling me and I was just yeah. looking at them going, yeah. but you know what? They've been in this position of celebrity for a long yeah. time. Nobody tells them they're wrong. Nobody yeah. tells them they're not interesting. It's like I once saw in a music special at Justin Timberlake tell a story that he said was one of the funniest stories that he'd ever experienced and then he told it and could not stop laughing and it didn't finish with a joke and it wasn't funny. Yeah. And I'm like, that guy has been famous yeah. since uh, he was a kid. Yeah, it's... Like, it, no. oh, it's just an... It's just... A, so anyway, what I realised was I've never liked that side of things and I've been involved in it here and there yeah. and I've been, uh, you know, a part of it through proxy and the things that I've worked with, but I've never liked it. And I think subconsciously I have never gone for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like I've never... uh, It it sounds like a bit of a revisionist history, but I think really subconsciously Mm. I've always found that stuff to be quite gauche and I just wanted to... Oh, yeah. It was all about being creative and finding different ways to entertain. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you're around these people, it's just, oh, fucking hell. Well, there's nothing like, you know... Being trapped in a tedious conversation that you want nothing to do with is like, like I don't know if it's like this for everyone. For me, it's like I'm dying inside. Like I'm, yeah. di- I'm dying. Yeah. And like you know, people always laugh at me that my face can't lie. And you know, I'm, when I'm checked out, it's so obvious. Yeah. I'm not even pretending. <laughs> I'm not even pretending that I'm interested anymore or yeah. anything. But it's like. It's it's uh, trust me. I'm not trying to be like that. It's happening yeah. involuntarily. Like I can't stand around and talk about how yesterday it was two degrees cooler than it is today and isn't that unusual like that's a nice segue line not a 15 minute conversation uh, like yeah. I can't yeah. or, or or just this clusterfuck where we all self-congratulate each other and talk no. about how brilliant we all are yeah. and, and laugh and cackle like fucking mules at this uh, awful joke like yeah. I can't do it no I can't do it either <laughs> I can't and I don't want to be around those people I want to be around interesting people who say things that you never expected yeah. and you know Ah, I don't, anyway. You don't have time. You, I mean, you know, in your life, you don't have time to talk to the people you want to talk to yeah. as much as you'd like. Yeah. You know, let alone, why am I? Why am I standing here for fucking three hours talking to this guy? Yeah. 
I'll tell you who the celebrities are afterwards. Oh, sure. Maybe I'll save it for the Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) I'll send every. I'll send each one of. I'll send a direct uh, email to all the Patreon people. So if you want to sign up and find out, here's a selling point. Scramble scramble the letters so they have to put it together. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'll do it as anagrams. (laughs) Make it. I'll make it interesting. It will be a new uh, win win shit off Hamo's desk competition. First person to scramble the anagrams of these celebrity names win some shit. Anyway, I think I've got an idea who you're talking about. Ah, yeah, I reckon. You might too. Yeah. So let's let's pivot out of that because yeah. that is a, a deep dive into despair. But uh, but it is a <laughs> back it, to June. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, I'm just trying to find a way to brighten it a little bit. But uh, it is it's it's a fascinating. It's kind of fascinating to watch, knowing that it's compromised. I think yeah. uh, I think I would have like if I didn't know it was compromised, I just would have thought that maybe Lynch had had a stroke. But yeah, to yeah, know yeah. it's compromised, I to be honest, I think I would have had a feeling that it was compromised oh, even if yeah. I didn't know but when I was younger it was just like whoo what is happening well, um, you, you can see you can see that a good that it needs to be a good hour longer yeah and it was a good hour longer yeah we'll get yeah we'll get into that a bit lo- later I think I texted you saying this feels like someone's nightmare of a science fiction movie <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like I had the worst nightmare I was on this planet um, I don't know how I got there yeah. I don't know why we're there yeah, what is happening <laughs> is that is that a how would you describe the film uh, I, I go back to what I what I said about yeah. the, an 80s uh, Henson-esque movie because like these, you know, um, they're, 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 they're kind of quite dreamlike or nightmare-like as well in that, you know, now we're here. Now we're here. Yeah. You know, how do we get here? Yeah. Not even necessarily just the Henson stuff. There's one called Return to Oz. Yeah. I don't know if that you might that might have been a bit after your time. Yeah, I, um, I remember it. Yeah, but I didn't. I wasn't for people my age. Like that's one of those ones where you, the people that saw it as kids, you even say that phrase Return to Oz, and people like, oh god. Um, oh right. It's not really, back on. Oh, there's some really fucked up images in that movie. Oh, it's right. a really dark, fucked up movie. Right. Um. So what is it? Is it like more like a sequel to the? book or like why is it so much darker oh it's like dorothy goes back to oz but this time i i look i only remember images there's guys with rollerblades for hands and feet called the wheelies and they just like you know they make these i can't even describe the motion but they like chase dorothy there's a queen who has interchangeable heads and there's a gallery of all the heads on pedestals and she's trying to Capture Dorothy to decapitate her so she can collect her head. There's a weird pumpkin man. There's a brass man called TikTok. Like it's it's. Well, this up. feels like the only time I feel comfortable in saying we are certainly not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like wow. that's, that's 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 what I mean when I say June reminds me of one of those kinds of movies yeah. where it's like you know it, it 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 it's weirdly unsettling. And you rewatch a few of those movies that were made for kids of my generation when we were when we were children. And there really is that sense of like how the like it was a different time. How the fuck yeah. did this get through like consensus? Yeah. And 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 it was allowed to be made for children. Like everyone I know, it came up in the um, games night that I went to last night, and everyone had a traumatizing memory of Return to Return to Oz. <laughs> so funny, you know. But then they don't. They certainly don't make movies that traumatize children anymore. <laughs> Got to be honest, you kind of sold me on it. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm. Now I never thought I'd ever say the words. I'm Return to Oz curious. <laughs> Have you have you ever read the original book of Dune or any of the books? No, no. I tried. I tried reading Dune. 
a couple of years ago, and I, 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 it's the same reason I was never a Lord of the Rings guy. Once it gets into like, oh, hibbledy, pibbledy, bobbledy, bop. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Like, yeah, that's too much, Come isn't on. it? I, I have lots of trouble with that. Just call him Jeff. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, you know, if you're into that, no offense. No, and, no, no. And, no. I, and I say this is a comic book guy, so I'm, yes. I'm well versed in, but it just doesn't. There, I think there's, an, and this again is just my interpretation, there's an air of pretension to the language and to the, the grandiosity of this world mm. that I'm just kind of like eye-rolling at. Like, oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly into um, fantasy or... Um, no, neither what, am I. What is June? It's not hard science fiction. What, like it's huh. like world building, whatever yeah. it is. You know, I admire that someone can create an entire empire in their head and it all makes sense to them. Yeah. I would rather read... It's the same reason I'm not into historical fiction. I'd rather just read a book about some shit that actually happened. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if I'm going to if I'm going to read an 800-page book, I'd rather get to the end and go, oh, all that happened, and that's how that influenced this, and that, and that, and that, rather than, you know... And then House Grayskull betrayed <laughs> House Atreides. Oh, God, <laughs> shut up. Um, it says here, uh, i just quickly look this up, uh, Dune is a 1965 science fiction novel, so okay. it's just considered science fiction. Look, power to you if you're into it. No, no, you know, no judgment. It's just not for no, me. No, no, no. I, I, I don't have any, like, I understand why people like it, but yeah. I'm just not hardwired to remember the names, and if I can't remember the names, yeah. then I have a disconnect to what I'm watching. Why? I had to watch the first scene of this this time round three times. I had to watch right. the first 15 minutes three times just to get the fucking <laughs> well, language in my head. It's like, just do a montage, David. Why, right. why are you just spitting info at me? Oh, my God. It's so funny. Show don't tell. So let's just get into that. The opening with the floating head of Virginia Madsen <laughs> feels very Lynchian. But that info dump is a lot to take in. Uh, and I've literally written here, I struggle with all types of entertainment that is full of made-up names. Um, but what I really enjoyed about that opening is that her head kept fading in and out. And it was like it was like she'd fade out. She'd go, fuck, I'll, hang on, uh, comes back. Also, there's blah, 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 blah. And then her head would fade out. She'd go, fuck, I left out that other made-up name. And her head would fade back in, she, blah, 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 blah. On the third, on the third <laughs> fade back, she literally says, oh. I forgot to tell you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was going to say. It's like, yep, I was across it. I was really across it. But for me, uh, and and uh, there's, that was, you know, in the we'll get it to it in the squid bits, yeah. but that was shock horror added afterwards. Of course <laughs> yeah. it was. Because and, 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 of it, doesn't well, it? And it's also like, but who's this character? Like, why is she the narrator? Yeah. She's got nothing to do with anything. She's the daughter of the emperor, in, uh, the emperor of the universe that's in it for five oh, minutes. So that was going to be one but of my like, questions. Why is she narrating? No, thank you. All right, I appreciate that. But it was because I was like <laughs> trying to work out the importance. It's no importance. She's literally a background character for the rest of the movie. So it's something good. She's like the opening head of the Like, surely it should be... Like Kyle McLaughlin's mother, or just someone right. that has some kind of importance in the story, right. not this fucking you, princess who doesn't even have a line for the rest of the movie. You know what it must have been? It's crazy. You know what it must have been? The <laughs> yeah. actor that they could get. Who yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hadn't already gone? Fuck this movie. Yeah, everyone's out. No, oh, we better we better get that minor character who's standing in the game. But you could have like it would have been so easy, you know, instead of just going and on the planet Arrakis there is a thing called Melange and House Atreides is the then the Harkonnens. Da, da, da. 
like show a montage of like yeah. they had a whole lot of b-roll footage that didn't get used for the movie surely yeah. there were some shots that they could have and here's the harkonnens yeah. look, look, get that in your mind yeah. this is the harkonnens this yeah. is the spice not just some f- head flapping its gums <laughs> going oh wait a minute before i f- fade off for good i just yeah. forgot something yeah and you're sitting there <laughs> trying to take it all in trying to work out who she is and wondering why she keeps forgetting stuff <laughs> What else has she forgotten? And if she can't... If the fucking narrator of the movie's forgetting shit, how am I supposed to remember yeah, what's going like, on? what is happening? <laughs> so that, to me, isn't... So I, I, there's some genuinely weird moments throughout this film. Yeah. My first moment like that. In the credits, we discover Brian Eno wrote the Prophecy song and then Toto did the soundtrack. Yeah. I never thought I'd see a movie where the man who wrote Here Come the Warm Jets was, you know collaborating on a film where it's the dudes who wrote Africa. <laughs> like, that is... Like, if, if you're not across music, I that might not be weird to you, but Brian Eno and Toto have never gone in the same sentence for me unless you wanted to say, name two musicians that are diametrically opposed. Yeah. <laughs> and then I go, oh, yeah, Brian Eno and Toto, that makes sense. Again, it's fully feeding into this nightmare logic. <laughs> oh, my Lord, it's so weird. So already I was like... Well, yeah. I was kind of actually a bit excited by that. I was like, well, that's so bizarre. Yeah. Um, so I had a, a, a very nice uh, David Lynch fan on Twitter tell me we can skip the movie since Lynch himself doesn't talk about it. I think I think that person was trying to save us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> and I, I appreciate I, it. Well, I mean, I think I suggested it as well. You, well, rang, you, I, you rang me half an hour in going, this is fucking whack. And I was like, why don't we just skip it? I was like, like, no, 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 no. We've got to do it. To quote, you were like, are you insane? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, I was having a good time but i was half an hour in going what is happening here uh weirdly the first half hour just seemed like it took forever and then i called you and we had a laugh for a while and then i got off and then it went really quickly yeah. so i think i just needed to express i think that's why i enjoyed it that i uh, maybe enjoys a bridge too far but i had an all right time with it because i was i was dreading watching this mm. and after you called i was like half asleep mm. and i was like fuck it i'm gonna put it on now and I was so tired. It was almost like I was quasi-stoned. And I think you setting me up of like, this is fucking crazy and a bit <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah. I kind of went into it with that headspace. Ooh. So anyone listening to this that hasn't watched it, that is planning to watch it, just go into it if you are going to do it. Yeah. Knowing that it's real shit. And yeah, you'll and probably enjoy it. And it's bizarre. But yeah. there's also, if you're a David Lynch fan, it's still I, I think it's still really worthwhile checking oh, yeah. out. Because there's... Lots of the building blocks of Lynch's career are in this film. Yeah, and it's and it's a great kind of like parallel reality of what could have happened with his career. Yes. Had he continued to go down this track. And I think yes. this is what happens to so many modern directors with a vision. Yeah. You know, they do two really wait, is this is this third film? Yeah. Yeah, they do two really fucking amazing films and then they get, you know, Marvel, Marvel. gets them to do a, you know, Spider-Man 12 and all of a yeah. sudden they're crunched through the studio system and they lose every idiosyncratic thing about them. Yeah. And a lot of them never come back from that. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is a great kind of, um, you know, what could have been. That's my... That's we could my have lost Lynch to this, you know, kind of nightmare track. Yeah, yeah. Well, I reckon he's not around for too much longer if that's the case oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, you know. absolutely. That's my uh, fear with Ryan Coogler because uh, I loved Fruitvale Station yeah. and I thought Creed was like to take a take that Rocky franchise and just spin it on its head was mm. a stroke of genius. Mm. And I think I think Black Panther is a really solid film. Mm. Like you know everything that like it's the it, like it's legitimately 
probably the only, uh, like probably the best antagonist and yeah. protagonist uh, back and forth with uh, yeah. Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. And that. Um, but uh, it's worthwhile watching this film because, um, you know, there's all these building blocks of Lynch's career. There's like the Guild Navigator and the weird leaky <laughs> train. That kind of recalls the the weird-ass smoking teapot that Philip Jeffries becomes yeah, in yeah, Twin yeah, Peaks, yeah, The yeah. Return. Like, yeah. And there is, there's still the, uh, the ambient noises that... Uh, sit underneath uh, every scene and uh, is there anything else that stands out to you as being important? The the Guild Navigator reminded me a little bit of the baby from um, A Razorhead a little bit just in that grotesquerie. Yes. Um, Yeah. You know there was one there was was kind of little character moments I thought like there was I can't remember the big lug uh, Hakonan, the, oh, yeah. the the big the one that floats in the air and has pustules. Nah, on nah, face. his his henchman. Oh yes, uh, the, yeah. the, the the big dude, the one that wasn't Sting. Yeah, the one that wasn't yeah. Sting. Uh, he looks like like one of the Beagle Boys. <laughs> we, uh, this is this is seriously for anyone listening who is right across this. Hey, I'm sorry, but you're dealing with two assholes who do not remember any of the names. <laughs> and when I was looking them up for the script, I was like having to like this script took me fucking ages because I'd be like, oh, what was that person's name? I'd try to describe them. Then it would just go to... And then I'd be trying to find it. Oh, yeah, nah, that's the weird train thing. Right, you I mean, know. that guy might not even have a name. I, like, sure. I mean, I'm like, proud of myself that I remember Harkonnen, House of Trades, and, and Melange. Uh, like, I remember Paul and Spice. Yeah, but I just see, I've forgotten Paul. I kept calling him Carl <laughs> 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 Um There's a, a moment with that guy, and he's got, like... It's some creature in a collapsible container. Yeah. And it's like this, uh, the, the Harkonnen version of a, a popper. Yeah. And he like crushes it and then sucks the juice out of yeah. it. And it like little moments like that that were kind of like revolting. Yes. I thought were, um, but it was like, you know, yeah, it was it's like. Still, it still feels weirdly this mess of a film. If you said Eraserhead and the Elephant Man took place in the same universe. And then you said. And June's what happens three centuries later. You go, oh, yeah, no, that makes you sense. You can see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, at the same time, you can see that it's, you know, it's like he's under a tarp or something and yeah. there's just these little things kind of poking up out poking of it. Poking up, yeah. Like, uh, like trying to get up out. But, yeah. um, you know, clearly <laughs> De Laurentiis is, you know, kind of like, no, that's too weird. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. All the financial backers. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... I, because of that, I think it's still worthwhile watching to see yeah. these uh, the things that David Lynch is interested in still finding. And we'll, we'll talk more about other stuff that uh, as we go along. I wonder if... So, you know, there was the TV... Like, this movie uh, was notorious to get made. You know, there was the June TV series, which I think was early 2000s. Uh, there was yeah, a miniseries or whatever. Mm. It just seems like a really difficult work that people love, but have trouble in uh, adapting and I wonder if it's because it's had a lot of the ideas strip mine for other films like even like even Spice which it, that, that's what Han Solo smuggles in Star Wars does he? yeah he's a like, oh, like, Spice merchant yeah that's why I remember they've got all those places where they hide in the Millennium yeah, Falcon that's right. like I'm, I'm I, I did a quick uh, search didn't really find anything uh, like it went to Reddit's and yeah, that and yeah, I didn't yeah, bother yeah. with that but you know it feels you know, it's a sci-fi movie talking about spice. It's got to be, you know, referencing Dune. Yeah. I think it's also... And also oh, sorry. Also, the block armour. It sounds like a lightsaber duel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's... I think you're right. I think a lot of it's been stripped mine. And I think it's also just the classic mistake of adaptation where it's like, if you're going to go for something this dense, you've got to go the Lord of the Rings route. 
you got to do three three hour movies. Yeah, you got to, and you've got to pick your battles. You know, and right. that's why you know, as as kind of not into fantasy as I am. Yeah, it's surprising that Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, is like three of my favorite favorite movies. Yeah, because you never, as someone who had no education in the characters, the language, the world, or anything, I believe that world when I'm watching it. Right, and it's and when and the the documentaries about how it is made is fascinating. Yeah, just the amount of effort that went into packing so much in without it feeling like wait what yeah like you know like that that is the good side of adaptation versus the first 15 minutes of this movie where it's i mean did you know that they handed out fucking cards to the cinema audiences for june with like a like a a a glossary of terms if you have to be handed a glossary of terms before the movie your movie is a failure yeah it's a failure yeah i didn't walk into lord of the rings with a piece of paper going hobbits are little people with yeah. fur on their feet and wizards like no 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 the movie does the heavy lifting for you so funny i didn't um, i didn't read that that's hilarious it's crazy it, i mean in, in that moment you have to admit that you failed yeah how do you make something out of an original publication that's been strip mined like i always like i saw the the john carter film hmm. and just didn't quite see why it got such a bad reputation. Like, I didn't think it was great, mm. but it didn't feel that... Like, it. sometimes sometimes movies catch the ire of the general public and, and reviewers, and you, and you go, is it really that much worse than this or that? You know, <laughs> I, there was... Uh, I think we may have talked about this before, but I remember after John Carter came out and, and failed, some fan just made this cracking... YouTube uh, uh, trailer mm. and what they did was they took the images of the original book covers mm. and had them as images and it was that, and it was kind of like saying you know before Star Wars before yeah. this before yeah. that there was a, John Carter of Mars yeah you know and you and immediately you'd go oh okay like you know I, I that movie may still have failed, but I wonder. Yeah. It, does it does it get another thirty million at the box office if it's given a little tasty explanation yeah. like that? Yeah, or if they'd gone know. like the pulp route and made it look like a you know like more in line with the aesthetic of the time that it was written. Oh yeah, um, yeah. rather than a giant CGI. First. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, maybe. Um, uh, you know, lean into that a little bit more. Yeah. You know the way. You know, like, not specifically, but, you know, like, Taika Waititi literally brought through that Flash Gordon, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, a movie that was not great, but obviously holds a special place for him. But he, yeah. he created something new with that kind of influence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, June is Karl McLaughlin's first role when I checked yes. his IMDb. Um Crazy performance, isn't it? Like, it's fascinating. <laughs> like, I'm so, I'm so glad that... If he was going to appear in a stinker first, it was with David Lynch, who still recognised his talent. Yep. There are moments that kept making me laugh where, because it was added afterwards, often it looked like he was surprised that he had voiceover. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Space. Yeah. It's <laughs> like he's... It, He's too strange. Like, He's a strange... People talk about, oh, Cobb McLaughlin's so handsome. It's like... Uh, it, like well, he's not unattractive, but it's like handsome in like a funhouse mirror. Like, it's not... Uh, to well, me, it's not a... a, 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 a um, it's like standardised version of attractive. Like, he, he's a kind of weird-looking guy. Well, like... 
Yes. Okay. So I think he's. I think part of the reason he works as Dale Cooper is I think he's old-fashioned handsome. Like he's like a uh, chin. Uh, did you say Robert Mitchum? Big Chin. Oh, Big Chin. Yeah. So I, well, I was thinking of yeah. uh, actors from the 50s, 60s. Uh, there's one in particular that appeared with Steve McQueen at, in Bullet and uh, I can't think of his name. But uh, so he's a bit old fashioned mm. in modern times. Yeah, so then yeah, when yeah. you put him in like with their big hair and, you know, his snorkel gear and stuff like that, you're like, what is what is happening with this guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's always been he's, he's always like I think there's always humour to what he does. Yes. Like, did you ever? You never watched uh, Sex and the City, did you? No. Uh, the, the, the series yeah. was like, especially. I would say the majority of that series is brilliant. Like, especially sure, at the yeah, time, sure. and he plays like he's the partner of one of the characters. It's really uptight, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, really well-off guy yeah. who just never wants to have sex with his hot wife, which is uh, Charlotte, and then he gets caught. She catches him masturbating over photos of someone else, and she to make it better, she just cuts out pictures of her head and puts them on, sticks them on top. <laughs> like, the, like, do you know what I mean? Sex in the City is like, uh, like the movies have made us forget that the, the series was actually pretty. Yeah, edgy. yeah. My mum was a huge fan yeah, of that, yeah. but he uh, he's really funny in it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. he's always really funny, and he does. I feel like these. <laughs> I feel like he's like Lynch in this film. It's like he's kind of got his sense of humour and yeah. his weird cadence. And then at times he's being forced into a Luke Skywalker kind of performance. Totally. And yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of looks that he throws, especially when he uh, when he's riding the worm. This look of kind of like weird Mate. ecstasy. Mate. But also like kind of almost winking at the camera of how absurd this situation is. Like. And then, and then like... It's Big Ed from Twin Peaks is on the worm with Big him. Big Ed is on the And they're looking at each other like they're in love with each other. Mate, like it's it very is weird. It, like, I was <laughs> doubled over. I was laughing so hard. We'll get to that a little bit later. Let's not, uh, let's not blow our worm time too early. Um, another moment that feels genuinely important to the Lynch legacy, and uh, from what I could tell, this is in the Frank Herbert novel mm. and then is used in the screenplay it's the quote a person needs new experiences it jars something deep inside allowing them to grow without change something sleeps inside us and seldom awakens the sleeper must awaken Mm. and without getting ahead of ourselves Mm. i immediately made a direct connection with dale cooper in twin peaks the return yeah uh and this feels like lost highway this feels like Mulholland Drive, oh, you know, this, even Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet. This feels like this quote is a blueprint for much of Lynch's work from here. Yeah, and I can see why Dune would have appealed to Lynch because you know I feel like the moments that you really get a sense of him is in those bizarre art house kind of style yeah. dreams that occur as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say that. Um, that relates definitely to Dale Cooper, but um, I think about um the character that he plays in Blue Velvet, and that's very much awakening from a type of dream. Yeah, you know, the dream of of, of suburbia of innocence. and innocence into yeah. what the world world you know could or maybe is <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah it was it, once again like this is why i think it was important yeah. to watch this because if i hadn't if i'd asked like if i'd turned out turned off at exactly the same spot that i turned off as a kid you you miss that quote yeah. and you miss that's why it's even if he disavows it it's still 
part of his DNA. Oh, of course, and I, I, you know, I would say even say that the, the quote "fear is the mind killer" is probably very uh, Lynchian yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the plat. Oh, I'm going to get the name of this wrong. The planet of G D G I E D I. Whatever. Gaides. 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 Which one is it? It's the. Um, uh, it's the place who. It's a nightmare landscape that kind of reminds you of the netherworld of Twin Peaks The Return. And it also feels like um, the, the landscape of Eraserhead. You know, it's kind of the industrial... Is that the one the, the, Harkoni- the Harkonians live on that one, right? I guess so, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. That, that planet to me is the most fascinating. I wish more of the movie had been set on that <laughs> place because it was... Like, it's gross and it's overwhelming, but I feel uh, like the world building is actually quite good, but that one, to me, feels like the one that maybe Lynch was most interested yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the design of this film is is beautiful. Yeah. You know, that weird kind of balance between industrial landscapes and then this kind of, you know, um, the pomp and ceremony of some of the costumes, especially on that first planet, the Emperor's yeah. planet, where they're all wearing these green military uniforms. Yeah. And, yeah, the, the design is outstanding and yeah. I think that's where you can see the promise of this movie or what yeah. it could have been yeah, yeah. That, and that you know with the faces carved into yeah, the walls yeah. etc you know it also reminds me you've read Planetary haven't you no oh okay no. I'm not going to tell you what it reminds me of because Planetary regardless of how problematic Warren Ellis is mm. uh, you know it, it is a masterpiece and mm. uh, John uh, Cassidy's uh, artwork is spectacular mm-hmm. but anyway whenever you read it I will yep. point to something that I'll say hey this reminds me of June but uh, yeah there's it, it's it's funny I I wonder like this this whole thing kind of feels a little bit like the filth with Chris Weston yeah, and Grant yeah, Morrison yeah, as yeah. well like it, I wonder like I don't know but I wonder if it has a subtle influence over a lot of uh, well, it actually it reminded me a bit a bit of Giga's stuff. Oh yeah, um, yeah. There at, was there was some places that looked a bit like Alien. Yeah, and yeah. I wonder if that because I mean this is that fascinating um, like what influenced what, but you know that um, with Jodorowsky's Dune, yeah, um, Giga was going to be one of the big designers on that, and yeah. then defe- well not defected, but after that project collapsed, he went on to Alien. Yeah, and so Jodorowsky's whole kind of. Um, thesis is it was actually him that influenced the entire uh look of sci-fi that we now think uh, of, you know uh, be- the ridley scott kind of yeah that really yeah. ridley scott actually just ended up stealing his entire design team oh, right. which then went on to influence all the other sci-fi movies that ever ever existed right. um you know and so i wonder if with in Rouse in in lynch's dune if that geiger influence is coming from Alien or if it's coming from maybe original designs that were for Jodorowsky's Dune that was in some kind of archive or something somewhere. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? He he went and saw the film uh, when his version of Dune fell over. Jodorowsky went, yeah, yeah, but didn't, but could tell and really enjoyed hating it, but knew it wasn't, could tell it wasn't Lynch's fault. Have you seen, have you seen Jodorowsky's Dune? Oh, no. You got to watch it. 
You got to watch it. It's so good. Yeah, right. It's so good. Like he's like I love Jodorowsky, but he's yeah. like f- fucking cooked. Yeah. Um. You know, and he's like because he, he wanted to make like a twenty-hour movie. And he's yeah. Like, I don't understand why they did not want to let me make a twenty-hour film. All they care about is this paper, this devil money, this shit. And he's like throwing money out of his pockets. Like this is all shit. This is shit. What about my vision? Amazing. What about my dream? Amazing. <laughs> when when did that was that made? This is the only thing I've ever seen of June. Uh, this oh, is my Jodorowsky's only June was like twenty twelve. Yeah. And you know, like I mean, it's it would have been unfucking believable. Like yeah. Awesome Wells was going to be in it. Salvador yeah. Dali was going to be on it. Every planet was designed by a different artist. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every planet. sorry, he didn't make it though, did he? No, he never. No, did. no, that's no. what. No, right. Sorry, I knew that he hadn't made it, but the way you were talking made me think that he did make it. No, no, no. Me ranting, me doing his voice ranting is him in the in this documentary right, talking about right. like what a travesty it was. So that I'm going to see the documentary. Well, yeah, there yeah. is no film. Yeah, that's um, what I thought. Yeah. But yeah, like he had this whole vision to like every planet was going to be, you know, one planet was going to be scored by Pink Floyd and another planet was going to be scored by Led Zeppelin. It was just like this insane thing. Mm, um, that sounds okay. And it's all, and yeah, it, 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 honestly, it would have been incredible. And it all exists in storyboards. Yeah. So the whole film exists in storyboards. And I think Nicholas Winding Refn's the only guy that's ever actually gone through it. And he's like, he's in the documentary just going, this would have been unbelievable right but it's that whole you know, and, and the documentary is interesting because it gets into the whole like the commercialization and the corporatization of which is a necessary evil of film mm. that you can't make a 20 hour movie man yeah yeah <laughs> like, i mean maybe you could now in the netflix model one, but one, back then one, like one session a day <laughs> yeah. oh no we're, we're, we're five minutes late fuck it we'll have to come back tomorrow that's so good but it's that jordan around i mean you know that's his thing you know like why not why not yeah. Well, why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Doesn't uh, I? One of my pet peeves is people calling their TV series a. It's a, it's, it's less a TV series than an eight-hour movie yeah. where you go. Nah, man, it's on TV. Yeah, it's a TV show. Don't yeah. like. Yeah. Like, don't. Just just appreciate what you're making. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't have to be... Well, you know, people say that of Twin Peaks, that it's an 18-hour movie. Yes, which I was about to say. Well, that's kind of what Lynch did. But it's not an 18-hour movie. No. It's, it's, it's an 18-hour TV. TV series. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's got... Because invariably, when you do make a TV series and you make it like an eight-hour movie, you know what it fails as? Mm. A TV series. Because you've got to have ebbs and flows in the episode. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just... What did I just experience? Yeah. Which, in defence of Twin Peaks The Return, is sometimes what you think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do love that. Um, I, I reckon one of the reasons this movie is hard to watch is because it is purposefully ugly. Uh, people yeah. have sores around their mouths. There are bright line walls. There's weird surgical scars. Can you imagine seeing Return of the Jedi in 83 and then you go and see yeah, this? You'd be like, what is happening here? Like, you, yeah. know, you, know, you know what we can cope with in disgusting? Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the disgusting thing yeah. over there. Yeah. We can all collectively look at it and go, that's disgusting and we're done. But Dune is just ugly all the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also, once again, part of what makes it kind of fascinating to watch yeah it, it would have suffered the same um problem that the thing did off the back of et right you right. know um people not being prepped for how um aesthetically gross it is yeah the difference being that the thing is great and this is not it's a movie yeah <laughs> it's a movie <laughs> also feels a little bit like the blueprint for 
Mad Max Fury Road, doesn't yeah. it? Like, you know, that that's the last <laughs> film that I really watched where you... Like, I... I, the last time I watched it, which was here, yeah. I made the fatal mistake of making a little snack and I had to put the snack away because oh. I don't want to eat while I'm looking at that world. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. gross. Yeah, it's gross. But I mean, I think Mad, but I think, I, I still think Mad Max Fury Road is more aesthetically. Be- Be- yeah, yeah. It's, it still- is more, it's, it, it's, it's aesthetically easier to look at, even yes. though it is gross. Yes. You know, it's. it's That's uh, part of the. Genius yeah. of it, yeah. It's um because you know you got the the, the colors, the 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 hard yeah. yellows and reds and yeah. everything just pops so much. Yeah. Whereas this, the, the it's the dankness of this. Yeah, you know it's oh it's, it's dank. It's yeah, dank. it's yeah. it's it's dark and it's dank and it's there's shit sweaty. dripping from pipes and it's just yeah. it'd be like if Mad Max Fury Road the entire movie was set in that gross little sewer where he's hung up yeah. in the first five minutes yeah. and they actually never get out into the desert. It's just him running around <laughs> in the sewer pipe the whole time. Yuck! Oh my lord. <laughs> Lord. What was that? So all that blood dripping, like that shit when uh, when the old Mister Levitator just flies up out of nowhere. Oh yeah, and he's drinking shit from drinking a fucking shit, and then he oh, he's like molesting that slave boy. Oh. Like it's just awful. Turns out that is a very controversial scene, which I'll reveal oh, really? more in. I, I think I can. I think I know why. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's you know, and at least in Mad Max Fury Road, part of the reason for things being so ugly is it helps the the brides pop as you like you do see them as these uh, yes. creatures of beauty in this ugly world yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he can individualize each character or you know it's yeah, done yeah, yeah, yeah. like for a movie that is bombastic it's quite subtle as well but uh, that's I, I, that that is a full-blown masterpiece yeah that's a movie you can watch and just go wow bang 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 but the yeah. more you watch it the yeah. I mean and that that is the I tell you that is the uh, opposite in terms of world building of this Ooh. this is the, the Mad Max Fury Road is the literal example of show don't tell yes so much is implied without yep. ever you know even down to the design of the cars one of the most impressive things in Fury Road is one of the foot pedals the acceleration pedal in one of the cars is one I don't know what they're called those things that you get your feet measured in when you oh, go yeah. and try shoes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, you know, th- without saying anything, that says so much. Yeah. Th- they're just grabbing whatever the fuck they yeah. can. Like, this is, the world has turned to shit and yeah. this will do as a pedal on the car. Imagine driving along and looking down and going, oh, fuck, I can get into a size 10. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, when Sting turns up... Mm. I'd like I've known this for a long time, but as soon as I saw him, I was like, "Oh, that's right." Mm. He was the inspiration for John Constantine. Ah, well, right. Yeah, yeah. Set and Toddleben just wanted to draw someone who looked like Sting, <laughs> and so uh, and it, like he there's a there's actually a an earlier issue of uh, Saga of the Swamp thing before the character of Constantine's introduced, where he's they just drew him in. And yeah, then, right. but if uh, I can actually show you, I think possibly one of his first appearances. It's it's this version of Sting with this <laughs> hair, and uh, I think he made a uh, another film where he was in like in a suit, and maybe it was a mod kind of film. Right. But um, he looks great. He looks fantastic. Not an ounce of fat on that body. When he, what, I don't know what he comes out of when he's flexing. And oh, Jesus. Like, but it's like, wow. <laughs> like, it's it's worthy of a round of applause. Yeah, like, yeah, it is very impressive. Beautiful. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, was Sting a sex symbol back in the day? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. There it is. Yeah. Right yeah. there. Yeah. He's, he's acting... I felt self-conscious looking at him. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. I'll just pull up a little, little blankie over yeah, me. No, Stop literally. looking at me. 
<laughs> outside. It's really I don't want my warm. own eyes to look at me. Yeah. <laughs> His acting is, you know, you can not not great, but it is. Yeah. And then that. Whole but what does he do? Like it's like he he kind of makes the, it's like this big first appearance yeah and then i think he has one line of dialogue and then he doesn't say anything for until that battle at the end where it's like this is what it's been building to this fight between him and kyle mclaughlin why why is he the big antagonist at the end this is shit why why did this happen no no and again that's one of those ones where it's like oh there's probably like 10 minutes of sting of sting that's been chopped out that would have actually made this fight somewhat like Something to look forward to, other than him popping up in a dream that Kyle McLaughlin has in the first half hour of the movie. So and he, weird. And he only shows up in the dream for a nanosecond gurning. Right. And then he's gone again. And it's suddenly gone. at the end, like, oh, I've been waiting for this moment for two and a half hours. Really? Because I haven't. Well, <laughs> uh, remind me... Um, Remind me not to repeat this when I get to it, but there's, there's so many weird things in this film that there is the moment where... Um, Patrick Stewart and Kyle McLaughlin hug each other and go, oh my God, it's been so long since we've seen each other. And I'm like, has it? I feel like, feel like it's been 35 minutes. No, but if you were listening to the voiceover, she says, they battled for years. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> like, but really? It, but it still still doesn't feel like they it. They battled for years. That's your, way, that's your way of traversing years of time. Like I know they battled you, for years. Like I know you told me, but it still really feel like it. feels like they were just hanging out. They look exactly, although um, Patrick Stewart, Went from having a nice George Costanza haircut to having a mullet, so I guess yeah, that, no, 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 that, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the little dog that he was carrying into battle Mate, isn't there we'll anymore. Get to the dog a bit later. <laughs> I don't want to get too ahead of that fucking like what is happening. Like that, that is that is the line that I kept writing in my book of notes. What is happening? Um, the world building. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this already. A bit alien. There's a bit. It feels a bit Flash Gordon. Yeah. There's a little bit of Doctor Who. Uh, there's a touch of Jack Kirby at times mm-hmm. in it. Um, oh, especially when they go through that great picture frame yes. into the uh, into the uh, the place where space and time gets folded. Yes, that yeah. part's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm also all the. It's funny all the spaceships that they travel around in. Are massive. Yeah. Like you, you, like you compare them to what they fly around in in um, in Star Wars. Mm. Like I know you've got the Star Destroyers, but it feels like, and then everything's kind of a little bit more compact kind of thing. Yeah. But this, everything they fly around in is somehow metallic yeah. and wet yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. just gross. Like you feel like if you were walking on and you put your hand up, you go, "Fuck, I've got a bowler." Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> I. It, would would this have been better if Lynch had made it into a TV series? Because yeah. then you, because then he could have really. I, I, I think I, that's the only time I'll ever answer you. Every time you ask me this question, I'm always like, nah. And this time, yeah, yeah, yeah. This this if you know, as I say before, this, uh, this needed I, like two it, seasons. Yeah, of it 10 needed, episodes it, each. you know, like the fact that uh, it had much more shot than was ever used. That is the first mistake. Yeah, um, but it needed even more than that. And I'm saying that about a movie that I didn't even particularly enjoy, but right. uh, I think that it would have been vastly improved. Well, it would have been more coherent. This is my next question. I can't honestly tell you that I followed this film apart from the broad strokes. I have some questions. What is going on with all of the voiceovers? <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's producers at the end going, shit, 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 yeah, get it into the ADR studio. It doesn't so, make any sense. It's so funny because it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's got, okay, so he's kind of the narrator, Paul's the narrator, and then suddenly, you know, Patrick Stewart's thinking, you're like, why is he thinking out loud? And then someone else starts, it's like... Really entertaining. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Baron Harkonnen 
Harkonnen. Harkonnen, who is played by Kenneth McMillan. I reckon... Do you reckon he's having the best time out of everyone? Fuck yeah, he's floating like Peter Pan going... <laughs> in, a, in a sumo suit. Yeah. Anytime as an actor you get to go... <laughs> You're having yeah. the time of your life. Yeah. Dr- floating, drinking blood, yeah. having pus removed from yeah. him. <laughs> well, he's... I mean, he's in a whole other movie... Yeah, you know, right. He, he's in like the, the the camp Broadway production of June. Right, right. Like it's so over the top. His yeah. it, it, like it doesn't fit in with anything. I mean, maybe it does because the rest of the Harkonnens are quite arch. Right, um, but it does fit. Like Brad Dourif turns up, yeah. and he's he's quite arch. It does feel like like if Paul Atreides had said. He's behind you. You go, oh, yeah, yeah that yeah, feels yeah. right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, even the... I, I can't remember the actor's name. Uh, but the guy that plays um, uh, uh, blah, 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 in Eraserhead. Yes. Um, Jack Nance. Jack Nance. He's, yeah. well, you know... He turns up he's in a little turn, You know, he's kind of doing the weird <laughs> the weird face from Eraserhead all the time. Like, that whole planet seems to be the yeah. planet of camp. <laughs> what about the Lynch cameo? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't do it, my liege. <laughs> <laughs> That is, we can't abandon the space. It might be like, like might be one of the underrated Lynch cameos. It, I, I don't know why I was. It took me out of the movie, and I was so relieved for him doing it. My liege, my liege, my liege. Oh man, I really enjoy your David Lynch impersonation. By the way, uh, as you already know, I've been working uh, long days at the Chase, so I was already delirious when I watched the film. So, with that in mind, I'm going to read this note to you, and maybe you can help decipher it for me. <laughs> this is literally what I wrote in uh, my book of notes: "Blue thing attacks disco monolith. What just happened?" <laughs> Blue thing attack. When does that happen? Towards the end, I think it's in the space time continuum thing where things have folded over and there's a blue kind of. <sighs> Full disclosure, last 20 minutes I was like barely oh conscious of this. <laughs> I remember a lot of rain at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. like but that seeming to come out of nowhere. Yeah, it's like, that's not like, praying for rain for the whole movie. Like, why, why is it suddenly they, great yeah, that it's raining? <laughs> right, like, good, I'm um, good. Like, because I, I watched it. Like, I they was, never cursed the fact that it was a desert planet. They were never like. Oh, Maybe they did. I don't know. Did I they? don't know either. I think I think you just like I don't remember it either. So when it started raining, I was like, "Is that a thing?" Yeah, it just you know seemed to me that they were, uh, maybe they do. I think they reference that they they've got water storages everywhere. And I think the movie's just kind of overwhelming. <sighs> it's it's almost like you, uh, as I said, it's almost like you watch it on a dreamlike state. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Patrick Stewart. Who is uh, just great in this? Yeah. Like he's he's so handsome and he's so hilarious. So, uh, so by the way, you can't remember what happened with Disco Monolith. I can't remember either. Like, no, I, I remember think, the, I remember there were a lot of lights at the end, and there was yeah. that weird kid with the eighty yard voice. Oh, mate, we'll get the, yeah, yeah, Jesus uh, Christ! But I don't, I don't, you know. And I remember Baron Harkonnen flying out yeah. and getting eaten by a worm. But that's yeah. that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> so my favorite line delivery of Patrick Stewart in the film is. Gods, what a monster! Like that. gods, what a monster! So, oh, that's good too. That's very good. Uh, and then, and then I had you know him and Carl McLaughlin catching up, and I was like, why are they so excited? It's, it's been forty minutes. Just calm down. Um, and my favorite acting decision, he, like, why does he have that dog with him? 
when he runs into battle. Yeah. It's a pug. Yeah. He's holding a pug. His one arm is completely out of the action because he's cradling a pug as he runs into ground warfare with an enemy combatant. So, so can can I, like, this is a really serious question. Would this movie have been better if they all had pugs? Yes. And maybe the bad guys had kittens or something? Yeah, or like Great Danes or something. Yeah, yeah, like people people stopping to pick up their kitten and their pug when they're fighting. Sorry, I dropped my pug. I'll just pick it up again. Like, when that pug turned up, I was like... It was great. It's It's funny. It's such a, like, and you can just, you can totally tell. Because the the pugs are there earlier. Yeah. Where the, um... Whatever, Kyle McLaughlin's dad has a bunch of pugs yeah. as they get out of the spaceship. And that yeah. makes sense because, like, all right, it's ceremonial. They've all arrived. Yeah. Maybe it's the, to- the, the the totem animal of this house. But you can just tell <laughs> that the scene was getting blocked and set up and everything. And that pug was just hanging out on set. Yeah. David Lynch is like, hey, hold the pug. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Stewart's going, yeah, okay. I will. Okay. <laughs> so funny. I just, I was obsessed with it. I just could not stop thinking about it. And the fact that it's not there yeah. many years later, you know, you got to assume that pug yeah. got iced. I also love the moment. What do you think of the worms? <laughs> Again, I'm 10 years old watching. Yeah, I know. It's really obviously a pug. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. Like, you know, there's moments where it looks better than others. Yeah, yeah. There's there moments were... where it bursts through the sand where it looks quite impressive. Yeah. Because it's a great miniature. Yeah. Um, you know, it was dra- d- uh, designed by the guy that designed E.T. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of dropped the ball a bit, I well, think. who knows? I mean, what can you do with what a worm? What can you do? It's a fucking worm. Yeah. I'm not sure, like, you know, in the, in the like, <laughs> you know, I've seen, I've seen what the worm looks like in the new Dune. It doesn't, it looks very similar. It, it's just a worm. It's a tube. I, I think, like. It's a tube with weird hairs and teeth. teeth. <laughs> There's just some things that I reckon, like, one of, <laughs> one of the things that I, I have little faith, even with the property going back to Marvel, mm. that you can make the Fantastic Four work because Reed Richards, with his stretching ability, mm. even though Reed Richards is a really can be written as a really interesting and complicated character, yeah. the fact remains stretching is ridiculous. And, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things which you will accept on the comic book page because on the comic book page, that's so far removed from reality. If he yeah. wants to make himself really big and flat so everyone can land on him when they're falling off a building, I'll accept it. If you want him to get away from people and he turns himself into a ball and bounces around, yeah, I'll yeah, accept yeah, it. Yeah. If he can't reach something and he reaches his hand out <laughs> and gets it, I'll accept it. But movies are closer to the real world, so when you put it up there, it looks ridiculous and I wonder if has it ever been done well stretching in a movie well not that I can think of it's not real but I was going to say in The Incredibles especially The Incredibles 2 well that's animated yeah that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of yeah, yeah so, it, looks, it looks good in that yeah yeah so I think it works as yeah something drawn but I wonder if worms are just something that inherently look ridiculous when in the new trailer for June it all culminates in the the worm oh okay I didn't know you'd seen the trailer I was was trying to talk around it because I know you're a version of trailers uh, for movies that I care about um uh actually sent you a thing it's the June uh, the the 1980s June trailer uh oh no no sorry it's the 
Yeah, it's it's the new June trailer recreated with old June footage. Oh, right. We'll watch it after this. It's yep. fucking cool. Great. Um, it actually made me appreciate the Lynch vision um, a lot. But yeah, I, I had a similar thing with the with the worm in the trailer for that, where it's like the, the trailer culminates in like, oh, the worm, and it just looks stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's supposed to be this like awe-inspiring, like, oh, and it's yeah. like, it just looks like a hollowed out cock with teeth, like yeah, a giant yeah. penis. Like, it's like, not, what is I'm, happening? Like, I'm not... Whoa! Yeah, no, I know. Like, I mean, I, I love, I love the metaphor, like the, the the metaphorical idea of riding the worm. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, the, the one a, a performer who um, performed at a fuck club where that I used to run. He was hesitant for years, and he ended up doing it. And um, the next morning, he tweeted out, "He's like, that was great fun. It was like ri- like riding the worm in June. Right? Um, Funny. And, like I like that idea of like you know harnessing this great power and and you know yeah not letting it conquer you. Um, but in 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 practice of act- the actual visual of it, it looks looks pretty stupid. <laughs> maybe maybe that can be a new segment for us. Ride the Riding worm. The worm. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on my Tinder profile. Oh, I can't understand why no one's swiping right. <laughs> Oh, it's, a, it's a call out to June. Um, by the way, just while I think of it, uh, I'll have to find this for you as well. Yeah. Reed Parker sent me the funniest thing on Twitter. For, well, you know, for me, yeah. was um, it was someone has a drone yeah. with a to put in a light bulb into the socket, but they've overdubbed it with the docking sequence from Interstellar. <laughs> And I, <laughs> yeah. oh no no, so yeah, you know, it, it's it's necessary. Do, 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 do. Oh, you know yeah, all that, yeah, yeah, all, yeah. all of yeah. the dialogue as well. Oh yeah, great, and it's great. And uh, as I wrote to read, fuck, am I about to buy a like a like? Am I going to buy a drone so I can recreate that in my? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. Um, I love the moment. Oh, this is one of my favourite moments. Speaking of the worms, this is one of my favourite moments is when they <laughs> realise that if they don't walk with rhythm, they won't attract the worms. So my question for you is, <laughs> is this why this universe is mainly full of white people? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's such a funny if we do <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh. We don't walk, what is it if we don't walk? If we walk without rhythm, yeah, we won't attract the worms. Yeah, so yeah, just so walk, right. just walk. What? Yeah, it's like I love that the worms are like one step, two step, one step, two step. That's for fucking person. Let's go and eat. But if you go one step, two step, two step, one step, one step, it's like oh fuck. I just don't quite know what that rhythm is. I, you know, I'll stay under the sand. Hang on, what's that? Anyway, that I just. It was so entertaining. It also doesn't seem worth the worm's uh, energy output to start crashing through for what would amount to be, what, like a flea? Nothing. Yeah, you know what I'm not going to do? sustenance to burst out of the ground for. You know what I'm not going to do is put on my sneakers, run from here down to Paddington to buy a dim sim. (laughs) (laughs) Get your shit together, worms. Come on, buddy. Pick your battles. Of course, I won't get that dim sim because that dim sim will throw me off by not having any rhythm. Um, I don't have an answer for this, but I'm just going to throw it out there. How many times do you reckon they say space? Oh, like 450. It's like ridiculous. It, space. Like if if we applied, you know, when we tell people to have a drink, when we bang on of the things that we normally yeah, do. Yeah. Also, I mentioned Nolan, so yeah. people want to have a drink for oh, that. I haven't mentioned it at all. Yeah, but nope. the um, but if we applied that to. to 
David Lynch's Dune. Oh. Have a drink every time. Like you would be. You'd be paralytic for the first five minutes. <laughs> Oh, what have I done? But that's, that's another great example of like how wrong-headed this movie is. Make it spice or make it melange. Right. Why do you, you know the planet the planet of rock or whatever it is, the planet fucking spice land yeah. is covered in melange, otherwise known as spice. Just yeah. drop melange. I know that it's in the book. Just say spice. That's one less term that we need to try yeah. and remember what that means. Yeah. You know, it's just pair it back, guys. Would have been so much better if Victoria Beckham was the pla- in charge of Spice World. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, the Spice stuff is like... Spice. But, you know, I can't help but sit there and go, fuck, they love Tarragon. And I know that's really childish, but the film is, you know, that's where your head wanders <laughs> to entertain yourself. Oh, I'll get some cumin. Um, <laughs> so I, I reckon there's some genuinely... Uh, there's only a few more questions. Uh, there's some genuinely unsettling moments in the movie. Uh, what the fuck was going on with that poor cat hooked up to that device? That I found that the one with real. the rat strapped to it. Yeah, yeah, that was fucked. Oh my god, I was not into that. No, neither. Well, I was actually that. I was genuinely not feeling very good towards everyone in the production. No, for no, that no. Part. That's when that's when you realise the uh, the humane society uh, was not uh, on set yeah. that day. That poor fucking cat. Yeah. Like, uh, all oh, and the rat. Much worse for the rat. Well, <laughs> strapped to your fucking apex predator. Yeah, but they're both like, you know, yeah, anyway, it's awful. Um, what the fuck is going on with that satanic sister? Like, I found that, you know, the, with oh, the, the weird yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah, I honestly was like, oh, God, that is creepy. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I by, by that st- stage in the movie, I was fairly checked out. But the, uh, the, the ADR dubbing over her... Oh. Terrible lip syncing oh. was, you know, but that that kind of creeped yeah, me out. Yeah, no, creeped me out too. Yeah. And, just like, and then in the end, when she's like, isn't she like dancing in the rain or like, something? What is happening? But she's like writhing around, and it's oh. like, like, oh. <laughs> and there's Carl McLaughlin with that glazed look on his yeah, face, yeah, smiling yeah. like, ah, <laughs> oh, one day I'll end up in blue velvet and everything will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why do I have voiceover? Um, uh, when when did Carl McLaughlin fall in love with Sean Young? Who was Sean Young? In when between, did Sean Young yeah, turn up? That, 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 that was in the. Uh, that was uh, all summed up in the um, the line over the next few years. Yeah. So suddenly Sean Young's here. Like, yeah, yeah. what is going I, on? Yeah, that moment where he goes, "I love you," or whatever you know, like Why? professes his love for. That's the kind of shit you see in like movies from the '30s, where someone's yeah. just met and then they're proposing marriage, and it's yes. like, no, that's not how it works. Like. If that is how it works, it should. It's not how it should work. No, no, no. no. You've got to. You've got to. You've got to get to know this person. Yeah. Maybe they suck their teeth uh, at dinner, and it is fucking yeah. annoying. <laughs> maybe they've got genuinely shit taste in music. Like yeah. maybe they fart in bed. Maybe they shit with the door open when you're trying to brush your teeth. Like there's heaps of things to like know before you say I love you. I think it's that thing. Like it, it's it's indicative of how this movie is. Uh, that the dreams that Paul has are doing three quarters of the heavy lifting of this movie. Yeah. Because the dream sets up this rivalry between him and Sting. Yep. It sets up the the brains at the end. It sets yep. up that he's going to fall in love with this woman. Yep. Like, But none of it's actually done. It's just, you know, the dream. he has a dream and five minutes later, I love you. Like, what? You just met her. Like. I mean, I know you're in a pretty extreme circumstance, but what's, what's happening? If I felt- beyond anything, like how am I to care? As right. the viewer, right? Like you know, and and again, that, I guess that all just goes to surely there were more scenes, and they were just chopped out for the for for right. brevity's sake. God, 
If I followed my dreams, I'd be heading straight back to Adelaide to the house that I first lived in in Barwell Avenue to dig up the body of the dead person that I buried there, which never happened. Never happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was a strange dream. Yeah. <laughs> um, is the sight of little men riding giant worms the ultimate exploration of penis envy? <laughs> Like, I reckon there's F1 drivers spraying champagne thinking, fucking calm down, guys. That's too much. That's why they look so joyful on the back of that thing. <laughs> and I love that. It's completely useless thing. It's too big. Oh, my God. And like the, the looks on Kyle McLaughlin's face and Ed's face, that, that oh. the actor who played Ed. Like, it, it made me wish, oh, I'd love to have sat on the set of, of Twin Peaks when those two were like, remember when we made that? And there's Lynch. It wasn't my vision. <laughs> Well, I would have loved to have been on the set of June as Lynch was directing him during that scene. Oh, yeah. Look like you're in ecstatic rapture. <laughs> Remember, you're on a giant worm. <laughs> um, you know the first fight scene with their weird-ass block... Oh, like, it looks like some weird fucking Tron through a nightmare filter. <laughs> my God. It's so weird. It's like, oh, you know what we need to do to make this action scene uh, better? Make it incapable of you knowing what's going yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you know at the time they would have been like, whoa, this yeah. is the cutting edge. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's guts. like you guys didn't finish it. Yeah. Is, uh, and then the, like, is the, is the final fight scene genuinely one of the worst ever put to film? It's terrible. <laughs> it's, like, it's terrible. You know, like, like genuinely the people who made Netflix's Iron Fist are going, oh, God, like, yeah. that's embarrassing. And I... I checked out of Netflix's Iron Fist after the first fight when it looked like like it looked like when you block something right. before you film. All right, well, I'll do this, I'll do this. You do that, I'll come back. You do this. Right, let's film it. Oh, you filmed it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's awful. I never watched that. Yeah, it was worthwhile watching that one fight scene just to Oof. go, well, and that's what this fight scene looked yeah, like. It's, it's like, okay, we've blocked it, let's film it. And yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. no. We got I it. wonder. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll get to this. But uh, did Lynch kind of check out towards the end of this? No, we'll go. We'll go. It's it's kind of interesting to read right. what kind of happens from here. But anyway, no, I don't mean checked out from. But like uh, through the shooting. No, 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 like, no. Well, end, I don't think so. Like, oh. I didn't read anything like right, that. Okay. But, um, but anyway, but I, I wonder also. It's like there was the there's the weird. Uh, uh, Bat- battle training scene that Kyle McLaughlin does early with like a with a yeah. secondhand Dalek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like a Dalek fucked that droid that's about to stick Princess Leia on this on in Star yeah. Wars, <laughs> and they had a baby, and it grew up to be in Dune. <laughs> but that last fight scene. But also, once again, just like you, I'm going. Why are these guys fighting? I didn't yeah. even know they had beef. <laughs> no, oh, the dream. The dream. Is this a? When was this written? Nineteen. 19- 81, 82. He wrote like seven. Really? Oh, sorry. Do you mean the, the book? Yeah, the book. When was oh, the book? Like, books like 1965. Is it is it a thinly veiled metaphor for like Middle East conflict? Like the West going in and trying to steal oil? I honestly don't know. I, I know all I really know of Dune and, and because things have been so busy this week. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is of course. This, this movie. Because I did get that vibe a lot. Like, you know, mm. the, 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 the imperial powers coming if, in and taking the natural resource. And Oh, yeah. Well, look, for anyone who's listening who might be a fan of uh, the books and, you know, please, you know, come over to the Big Squid Facebook mm. page and tell us because we, A, I'm genuinely curious and B, things are really busy and I do not have time to look this up. Yeah. So I would love it if someone yeah. could. And if you could... Explain it to Ben and I like we're five. 
<laughs> yeah, don't please yeah. don't give us any. Explain ha- it to Tucker us like, names and yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> explain it to us like the only experience we've ever had with June is watching this incomprehensible movie. Yes, thank you. We will appreciate that. Um, when the rain comes down. Considering you already have them on the soundtrack, this is the perfect time to drop Toto's oh, Africa. Oh, wouldn't it have been fucking great? Can anyone do that for <laughs> us? <laughs> and apply it to that scene. Yeah, it great. <laughs> Gonna take a lot to take me with Oh, man. So entertaining. Uh, two final questions. Does this movie make you excited or less excited for... Denise Villeneuve. I'm not. To be honest, I'm not terribly excited for the thing. For the like, I I really enjoy his aesthetic. Yeah, and I will go and see it on yeah. a. I will go and see it at the Orpheum on yeah. the big screen, yeah. front row. Uh, but no, I'm 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 not terribly excited one way or another. I'm a bit the same. I don't really. It's care. full of actors that I really like. Yeah. Like I like I'm quite a fan of Timothy Chalamet. So I think he's, yeah, he's quite great. wonderful and uh, Oscar Isaac and yeah. uh, you know like uh I've always quite liked Jason Momoa. I so he he was at a I, I like him. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. uh I, I don't necessarily I th- he he's kind of stunning in Game of Thrones. Like, oh yeah, I liked like, Kyle Drogo. Yeah, yeah. but uh, that's when he started, when his Cali voice started coming out, dude. Oh, uh, I know, I know. Hey, but, I'm Aquaman. Yeah, oh, I know. Right, you're really Poor. good looking. Do you have to? But that's, fucking rub my face in it. But that's also a director's choice, letting that happen, kind of thing. Yeah, I you know, know. I know. Yeah, everyone's. Um, but he he did a Q and A at a movie at, before Aquaman aired, and he was. So delightful and like you know when you when a movie star comes out and you go this is what I want from Jason Momoa yeah, this yeah, is yeah. what he's sure, doing sure. you know but you would hope if you were that massive yeah and that good looking that you'd be pretty chill and he yeah he was he you was know what I mean? fun. he was like, yeah, I gotta, he was everything's good he was properly um, self effacing not. Self-effacing by numbers, like you know, just the way he was casually chatting, blah blah blah. So I'm hoping, right. I'm hoping that the movie's good and that he has something substantial to play. Still in Star- Skarsgård, I yeah. believe, is the uh, is uh, 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 what is it? Duke, not Duke. What the, the fucking floating guy? Yeah, Gary. Yeah. And uh, and I th- Rebecca Ferguson is in it. I think she's kind of underrated. Yeah. Uh, so like it's, you know, have you it, have you heard uh, what I've, the new one covers? No, I've kept away from everything, right. and I have a vague idea of the reception it's getting, but I've deliberately kept it vague. Mm-mm. It's the same with um, I'm seeing uh, the Many Saints of Newark this week, mm. and I have a vague idea of what people are saying about that, yeah, but I'm sure. trying to keep away from it too. Sure. Look, I think uh, I think Villeneuve uh, put some pretty stunning images on the screen, and yeah. so while I'm not... Uh, yeah, I can take or leave the world of June yeah. and the mythology and everything. I do want to see it on a big screen yes. uh, and just marinate in his uh, aesthetic. I'm a firm believer that if you are at the very least curious about a film and know at some point you will watch it, yeah. why not see it on the big screen? Especially a movie like that. Yes, yes, yes. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like a blockbuster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's designed for the big screen. <laughs> Linking that to a Lynch quote. It's my, probably my favourite Lynch quote. Have you heard him talking about people watching their... Their movies on phones. <laughs> you should find the clip and put it at the end of the episode. <laughs> what does he say? He's like, and then the idea that people would watch their movie on a phone. You might think that you've seen it, but you haven't seen it. 
get real watching it on your fucking phone it's oh, the first great. time you actually see him pop but it's like yeah. you know and, and that leads into Villeneuve you know um, all this releasing on HBO Max you know yeah yeah um, I mean I think he said that watching June on a computer laptop or a, a, scr- a phone would be the equivalent of riding a speedboat in a in bathtub. bathtub yeah um, yeah so you know especially a movie uh, that is built for the, the screen yeah. Just pay you 20 bucks and go and see it. Just see it on the big screen. You know, but if you're not interested, then don't worry about it. Exactly. Uh, All right, let's get into the squid bits. Uh, We've kind of talked about this. David Lynch was offered Return of the Jedi, but knocked it back because, as he said, George Lucas had already designed three quarters of it, so he felt he couldn't put his stamp on the movie. (laughs) You think about the Jabba moments and you think about... (laughs) Anyway, it would be pretty funny. Uh, Planet of the Apes producer Arthur P. Jacobs... uh, Alejandro Jaborowski. 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 Alejandro Jaborowski. Alejandro Jaborowski. I get some people who just love to fucking tell me when I mispronounce things, and it's like, man, I've just fucking produced six and a half hours of fucking podcasts this week, and I get one thing wrong, and people fucking leap on you. Yeah, and it's this, is, like, this is the culture we live in anyway, now, right? Yeah. And then they like to say little things like, ah, oh, just, you know, just someone just has to call me. you out. And it's like, yeah, no worries, fuckface. And uh, I don't mind someone saying, hey, just letting you know it's pronounced this way. I go, oh, yeah, thanks. But when all it is is yeah. the, you mispronounce this, yeah. I think, ha, 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 I don't know who you are. Fuck off. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Alejandro Jodorowsky <laughs> and uh, Ridley, Scott, uh, had, uh, Ridley Scott had all attempted to adapt Dune in Cinefix. Do you remember this magazine? Cinefix. Cinefix. Sorry, not, not, not no, 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 no. Correct your pronunciation. No, no, no. That's right. Well, I couldn't remember it, so I, pre- I appreciate that. No, there's a way to do it. <laughs> yeah, you know no. what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. coming in hot and yeah. fucking, you know. <laughs> maybe I've had a bit of a stressful day too, motherfuckers. Do you know what I mean? For the, for the listener at home, Hamo's eyes just turned completely black. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess what? Sometimes I have a bad day too and then you just get on and you just want to do a little post of all the work you've been doing because you just want to entertain some people. <laughs> with, and, and then someone... So it's Alejandro Jodorowsky and, and, and Cinefix. And Cinefix. And Ridley Scratch. And Ridley Scratch. <laughs> in Seinfeld magazine in April 1985. Cinefix. I don't remember that. I think uh, maybe I do remember that. See, I never bought a copy, but I always liked uh, flicking through it at King's Comics. It was always a beautiful <laughs> yeah, yeah, looking magazine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe I do. Anyway, uh, in April 1985, David Lynch said, when I finished the novel, I was just knocked out. I'd seen Star Wars, of course, but to be honest, I wasn't all that crazy about it. For me, there's just too much on the surface in that film and nothing else. Dune was different. It had believable characterizations <laughs> and depth. In many ways, Herbert had created an internal adventure, one with a lot of emotional and physical textures and I love textures and it's like oh yeah so I can once again knowing that it's this oddity in his uh, IMDB page but it is also when you hear that you go oh right this is why you took it on oh yeah, yeah 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 totally Especially the word texture. Yeah, yeah. That's it's real key, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah. yeah. And this is definitively a movie of texture. Like yeah. it is yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot going on. Uh film historian Paul Salmon, S A W M O N Salmon, uh said of Lynch, I think he was pri- uh, Paul Salmon wrote uh, I think the definitive book on Blade Runner and right. when it was being filmed he'd go over and have a look at uh, what Lynch was doing and uh, I th- and he said uh, I think he was primarily this is about David Lynch 
I think he was primarily attracted to the fact that he was able to create four separate worlds with Dune and was able to sort of tell himself that he was satisfying the next career step up while at the same time retaining enough artistic control where he would be able to impose his own viewpoint. And he's he that's ends up not being quite true, but you can still see that kind of happening. Uh, There was roughly 1,700 crew members who worked on 80 film sets built on 12 different sound stages. I think that's that's key to it as well, I think, in terms of this isn't... It's too big for Lynch. Yeah. For for, for what Lynch, when, when he truly excels... It, I don't think the production can be that unwieldy and that yeah. crazy and yeah. too many plates spinning all at once. Yeah. You know, how do you maintain that kind of uh, that feel that he's so good at yeah. manifesting when there's just too many moving parts? Yeah. Uh, the large black bodysuits worn by the guild members weren't designed for the film. They were real-life body bags from the 20s found in an abandoned firehouse Ugh. by the production team. Lynch didn't tell the actors that the body bags had been used several times to hold actual dead people oh. in them until production wrapped. <laughs> like, I gotta tell you something. <laughs> yeah, no, no. A, go and release that rat and cat, and B, I don't need to know where this fucking suit came from. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very Lynchian story. Patrick Stewart replaced actor Aldo Ray as Gurney Halleck due to Aldo's alcoholism. Lynch thought he was hiring another actor named Patrick Stewart for the role. So he got the role by accident. That's funny. Then, in, just in case you didn't think it, any of that was weird enough, Stewart didn't realise Sting was a famous musician and asked him if he was a solo artist or played in a band. When Sting told him he played in the police, Stewart thought he meant a band compromised of real lawmen. I don't know if that's true or not. Like, I don't know. Like, is that true or is that said with a sparkle in his eye? Yeah, I, I assume it was a sparkle, sparkle. in his eye. That's what I... Because Patrick funny. Stewart is a very funny man. Very funny. Very, very like, funny man. Yeah. Anyway. But it was written... I'd read... I did a little bit of uh, searching on that. a band comprised of <laughs> yeah. Norman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it kept being reported as real, but just knowing his sense of humour, it feels very funny. Yeah. Lynch spent a week at Frank Herbert's home writing seven drafts of the screenplay. It has been noted by uh, Salmon that the script before shooting was considered to be really good. Mm. Like, he, he was saying that the uh, what he'd initially done was great. Janet Maslin of the New York Times opened her review with this line. <laughs> Several of the characters in June are psychic, which puts them in a unique position of being able to understand what goes on in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh. like if you're going to be burned, yeah, <laughs> burn with humour. Yeah, that, that's funny. Yeah, yeah funny and fair. Um, one of the visions of the future featured a remarkably lifelike fetus resting in a birth canal. One of the assistants on the film said, "David was always very interested in that fetus." <laughs> <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> in 1986, Lynch told Cine do you remember that magazine? I think that was... No, no the, the French that, sign effects, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> sign fantastic. Um, 
He said, there's something wrong with that movie. I don't really know what it is, and I'm not certain you could fix it. It's just so big, you know, and there's so much there. A lot of it I like, but a lot of it I don't like. It's just got problems. Wait, David said that? David Lynch in 86 said that. That was just before Blue Velvet came out. I think the headline was, is there life after Dune? Yeah, right, right. Oh, Uh, yeah, there is. There is, (laughs) thankfully. Uh, Dino De Laurentiis, he ends up producing Blue Velvet. So obviously not right. Like so, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, that's fine. I thought he died. Uh, before, uh, I, I thought because I thought this film was dedicated to him. But whatever, doesn't matter. Um, and also reunited David Lynch with several members of the cast, including Kyle MacLachlan, Dean Stockwell, and Brad Dourif. So you know, I'm guessing the experience of that part of making it probably wasn't that stressful. Like maybe oh, yeah. it was actually quite fun. Yeah, you sure. Know? Yeah, yeah, or at least. You know. Anyway, uh, I wonder how they. I wonder how they got to the to him and Dino got to that deal. Then, yeah. You know, was he? Because I, I can't imagine that David would have willingly gone into allowing him to produce the next film if he thought that it was going to be compromised. Well, yeah. Maybe when we look into Blue Velvet, maybe yeah. there'll be something yeah, that yeah, yeah. kind of comments on that. But yeah. um, uh, the original cut of the movie without post production went for four hours. But Lynch's intended cut of the film, which was uh, reflected in the seventh and final draft of the screenplay, the intention was for it to be three hours long. Universal and the film's finances expected a standard two-hour cut of the film. So maybe it wasn't... Maybe De Laurentiis was fine for it to be three hours. Maybe Release the Lynch cut. Well, (laughs) Lynch, De Laurentiis and his daughter, Raffaella. So I, I once again had... Did not have time to work she out. She was not the onset producer. Right. Excised numerous scenes, filmed new scenes to simplify the plot, added voiceover, and added the new introduction by Virginia Madsen. So, right. Uh, contrary to rumours, there is a Lynch cut of the film, which he denies. In 1988, there was a TV version that was cut into two parts. Uh, which totaled 186 minutes. Mm -hmm. It replaced the opening monologue with a much longer description of the setting that used concept art stills. Mm. Lynch disavowed this version and had his name removed from the credits, and so that's another movie made by Alan Smithy. Right. Yeah. There is actually a uh, fan edit on YouTube. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the subtitle of it is, but it goes for three hours. Right. Uh, and from uh, obviously, I wasn't going to watch it after I watched this. Uh, but from everything I read, people were saying this is great. So, how did they make a? They took scenes from the TV, TV version. Right. Oh, right. I see what you mean. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. if you've ever watched. Um, a really great fan edit is amazing. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, my loathing for the Hobbit films. Yeah. I've watched a, a fan edit, I think it's called the Tolkien Cut, where it takes uh, nine hours of movie and turns it into a two-hour movie. Oh. It's fucking great. Right, it's right. Great. That should have been it's the film. It's really good. It should have, the, the Hobbit should have been like a nice yeah. standalone. Yeah. nice little adventure movie. No, everything needs to be a no, trilogy. it doesn't need to be like... Yeah, and, 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 and it really works. Yeah. You know, the tone's right. Everything's great. So a good, a good amateur editor can turn a real piece of shit into something great. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Um, A lot of blowback to this film. Roger Ebert named it the worst movie of 1984. (laughs) Janet Maslin, who we've already mentioned at the New York Times, gave it one star. Film scholar Robin Wood called Dune the most obscenely homophobic film I have ever seen and referenced the scene in which Baron Harkonnen sexually assaults and kills a young man by bleeding him to death. 
gay writer Dennis Altman suggested that the film shows how AIDS references began penetrating popular culture mm. in the 80s and asked, was it just an accident that in the film Dune, the homosexual villain had separating sores on his face? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I can't comment on that, but because I just don't know. But. Well, it, def- it definitely did strike me that there's a, there is a bit of um, grotty queer quoting, coding yeah. in, in that character. Yeah, in that real kind of like uh, what you see in a lot of old Hollywood films, where it's you know the the the, the evil gay. Yeah, oh, watch out, he'll get you. Yeah, um, and you do see a lot of that yeah. in um, uh, in in older films. Yeah, it's, it, but then you know. Two two nice young strapping lung, young boys riding a worm seem to be pretty happy with each other, aren't they? <laughs> Far out. What is going on? Um, on the flip side, the movie also has its supporters, including Harlan Ellison, who said the lack of screeners for reviewers put a negative taint on the film before it was released. All right. That's very nice of him. Yeah. Uh, author, Charitable. Yes. Author <laughs> Frank Herbert also complimented Lynch and said, I enjoyed the film even as a cut, and I told it as I saw it. What reached the screen is a visual feast that begins as Dune begins, and you hear my dialogue all through it. He also commented, I have my quibbles about the film, of course. Paul was a man playing God, not a God who could make it rain. Mm. So that's interesting. Uh, There was a line of Dune action figures, which was released... To lackluster sales. They'd be worth a fortune now, no doubt. Oh, my God. You could get Paul Atreides, Baron Harkonnen, and a posable sandworm. (laughs) A posable sandworm? What does that mean? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, And there was a Marvel Comics adaptation by writer Ralph Macchio. Not the Karate Kid, but, you know, the guy who was an editor. I think he did a lot of um, stuff on uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil and stuff like that. So... Pretty prominent really? guy in, at the time. But uh, beautiful artwork by Bill uh, Sinkovics. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, any last thoughts on this? It's... Uh, no. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> we made it. And I'm uh, glad to have rewatched it, but uh, life is short and I probably will not be revisiting this one again. I'm I'm genuinely happy that we watched it. I'm like, genuinely happy yeah. we watched it. Absolutely. And I had a good time. I did, but... Uh, I will not be watching it again. Yeah. Twice in a lifetime. Good enough for me. <sighs> Sounds like two times too often. (laughs) That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you to Ben Elwood for his efforts today. And you'll be able to check back in with Ben and me this Thursday as we continue our Space Podacy series with Silent Running. You're actually about to hear a lot more of Ben uh, as we finish up the year. We're ramping up the podcast and we're going to go hell for leather for December, like the beginning of December, and then we'll slow things down a little bit and have a little bit of a break over Christmas. There'll there'll be some little mini pods that will keep you uh, buzzing along nicely, but uh, we'll just have a little break just to, you know, stretch, have some downtime. 
in my case, just watch some basketball and not think. <laughs> I'm, I'm a really big believer in uh, having solid amounts of time of not thinking. It really helps for the thinking part of life, you know. Have a little break. Have a little break from thinking. So uh, anyway, I'll tell you more about that as we get closer to Christmas. A big thank you also to our patron subscriber of the episode, Terry. Thank you for helping my friends and I to continue to work on this podcast. I have some big plans for us here and your contribution is not taken for granted. So thank you, Terry. If you too would like to have an episode dedicated to you and also have access to extra podcasts and stuff like that, head over to the Patreon site and look up Justin Hamilton Big Squid. Let's finish off with a quote from David Lynch. Little fish swim on the surface, but the big ones swim down below. If you can expand the container you're fishing in, your consciousness, you can catch bigger fish. Until then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.